Welcome back to the Ancient Health Podcast, where we educate you on real health solutions that will help transform the way you live, feel, and overcome disease naturally. I'm your host, Courtney Versage, along with Dr. Josh Axe and Dr. Chris Motley. We're so happy you've joined us. Let's dive into today's episode. Hello, friends. This is Dr. Motley, and welcome to the Health Institute Podcast. And today we're going to talk about a very important subject. We are going to talk about mental health, brain vitality, we're going to talk about memory loss. We're going to talk about certain conditions that are neurological and what are some of the things that can cause it, such as infections, which is often misdiagnosed or overlooked. And we also want to talk about the vitamins and minerals and even the herbs that have been shown to help with neurological problems. It's a very important subject to me because many times in my office every day that I'm there, I see patients that have infections like Lyme disease and parasites, viral infections such as Epstein-Barr virus, cytomegalovirus, even herpes simplex. And some of these viruses have been known to infiltrate the brain stem and into the brain because they're so small, they can get past the blood-brain barrier. So I wanted to talk about this because these infections can create a lot of toxicities, they can cause a lot of neurological problems. And I wanted to discuss some of the mechanisms with you and what you can do to help with these things if you suffer from them or if you know somebody else who does. So all of you guys out there is listening, we all want to have better mental health. We know that the central nervous system, the brain and the spinal cord really run the show. And so when we're talking about mental health, we want to see how fast and how efficient the neurological signals can run through the body, from the brain to the body, and from the body to the brain. And when you start to see that individuals come in and they don't have answers through you know, normal medical testing, I see that many of these patients, when I test them with Chinese medicine diagnosis or analysis and with kinesiology testing, that they often have misdiagnosed or unseen infections, such as the ones I just mentioned. And when you talk about mental health, we're also going to talk about the diet and how the diet affects it as, as, as much as the infections do. So let's start early. Let, we can talk about genetics. We can talk about the diet. We can talk about environmental toxins and stressors, and then we can talk about infections and, and some ways of how these actually come together and cause mental problems. So we can actually go into the realms of things such as Parkinson's or Alzheimer's. We can talk about neurological tingling and numbness, shakes and seizures even continuous cramping that are unforeseen or unknown. So let's start off with when you're young and in our culture today and what can affect the brain. So young individuals in our American culture and probably around the world, many of us were raised on things that are based in sugar or carbohydrate diets. One of the most inflammatory or the most inflammatory food that has been shown in research to affect the brain is going to be processed sugar. So we can't cover every single um, point of processed sugar and how it affects the brain, but let's go over some main points. Whenever you eat processed sugar, as you ingest it, processed sugars can actually cause inflammation within the gut lining. And one of the reasons why is because we have a normal flora within our gut. So we have, they call SIBOs, the bacteria that's gone from the large intestine to the small intestine, but there's actually beneficial bacteria, as many of you guys already know, that are in the upper and the small intestine area. And there are some that are actually in the stomach, uh, right where it meets into the small intestine. Now, if you take in high amounts of sugar, and we all normally also ingest many microbes within our food. So our stomachs are designed to have a certain amount of HCL, hydrochloric acid, pepsin, and all these types of chemicals in our digestive system that are triggered when we eat. And so it prepares our stomach to produce the acids. It tells the gallbladder to start uh, dumping bile for eating fats into the stomach so it can actually be dissolved. It stimulates the spleen and the pancreas to put in enzymes to help dissolve some sugars. Now, what happens when you take too much sugar in? Well, if you're ingesting some infections, like say parasites, uh, yeast, 
if you have some bacteria. And yes, there are many of those in our foods, such as vegetables and fruits and in uh, animal products. What can occur is if over time, high amounts of sugar causes inflammation in the lining of the stomach and small intestine, the pumps, the acid pumps can actually get damaged. And so these pumps don't produce the fluids and the acids that are needed to actually dissolve the food you just ingested. So you ingest the sugar, inflames the body, inflames the stomach. It doesn't produce the acids like it needs to, or it damages the effectiveness of how much acid it produces. And then the infections that you ingest actually can do what? Survive the stomach because it's not being eaten up by a very acidic diet or acidic environment. So the infections then can pass down into the small intestine because you have many feet of small intestine in your body. And if you keep ingesting sugar, as it damages the lining, it starts to damage the lining of the small intestine as well. And so you'll find out as inflammation increases that your body does all it can to help cool you down. So it produces a substance called zonulin. And zonulin in itself is a chemical that basically opens up these small channels in your small intestine and throughout your digestive system to allow some water, some fluids to actually pour into the small intestine to help flush. So many times, if you get an infection or if you get too much sugars, or if you get a food that your body doesn't like, it'll increase zonulin and it'll go and allow the foods to dump in there to give you diarrhea. So it flushes the infections or the, um, the offending agents out. So you have a lot of these environmental toxins. You also have all of these perfect storm ingredients coming together that's causing your stomach to be and your small intestine to become more porous, giving you leaky gut. So the increased zonulin leads to leaky gut. So you start to have infections that roll through as well. And as the infections start to increase, they can get into the small intestine. If you have open pores from the zonulin and from inflammation from the sugars, those infections can actually pour through those little tubes, those little pores and go right into your bloodstream so that this, the infections can get into the bloodstream and then spread through the blood. So you know that your blood pumps around your body many times a day. And so the infections can actually go run rampant through the bloodstream. And as it runs rampant through the bloodstream, you'll start to see that your, auto, that your immune system gets activated. So you have higher mast cells, you have higher histamine, and you'll have more propensity to have allergic reactions because your body's always on guard and inflamed. So you'll have what we call an antibody talk. We talk about cytokines, we talk about immunoglobulins, we talk about mast cells, granulocytes. We talk about all these different types of immune cells that are triggered to go do what? Try to kill the infections. So in itself, the infections can spread. And how does it affect the brain? Well, when you're young and you're you know, eating pixie sticks like I did or fudge rounds and drinking Coca-Cola or, or soft drinks, this continuous bombardment on our, neur our neurological system or on our digestive system then leads to leaky gut, then leads to infections in, into the bloodstream. So over time, the infections start to build. So you, you eat meals every day. And so let's say that you start to do what? You eat more sugars, more carbs, or more starches. And also the normal amounts of yeast in your body, even within the joints and within the digestive tract, start to overgrow because they use glucose or uh, sugar-based uh, nutrients as a form of fuel themselves. And so they start to overgrow. And then the toxins they produce, along with the parasites or the infections that are in your blood, can produce toxicities that seep into the bloodstream. And as it seeps into the bloodstream, it goes up into where? The heart, into the brain. And so the brain is very, very protected by the blood-brain barrier. And the blood-brain barrier means this, that your brain has a very strong lattice or a very strong wall within the arteries. They are very, very tight. And they have a different polaric charge than arteries in the rest of the body. What that means is there's a lot of ionic strength within your arteries around your brain so that the brain can protect itself from any offending infections or any type of toxins. That's what it's designed for. Now, many of these toxins, such as mold toxins or yeast toxins, are so small 
that they'll seep through and get through the blood-brain barrier. Another thing is that when you eat the high amounts of sugar, sugar is very inflammatory to the brain as well, because if you have high sugar in your blood, it will go and inflame the brain and it can actually damage arteries. And we know this, arteries can be damaged by high sugars, but it leads to arthrosclerosis or hardening arteries, higher amounts of cholesterol, because when you have a high cholesterol, you always got to remember that high cholesterol is directly linked to excess sugar and insulin resistance. So you have these perfect storms that are coming together. And as the infection toxins get up into the brain, the sugars themselves have inflamed the brain, inflamed the arteries, they become weaker. And so the toxins can do what? They can start to seep through and get into the brain tissue. Furthermore, the infections though, and I hope this doesn't sound negative guys, but the, but the infections that are roaming around, like uh, if it's Epstein-Barr virus that you, know, you got from uh, somebody else or through viruses like contact through the air or through, through saliva, you can actually have these infections as well go into the brain. And so there's a lot of evidence out there that shows that there has been cultures done on autopsies where the brain has many of these infections, such as the viruses, the parasites, the Lyme, the bacteria, and even mold and fungus that's residing in the brain. So they get through the brain and as they get to the brain, they set up shop. And so when they set up shop, they actually like the brain because what is the brain's main source of fuel? Sugar. So sugar can be very beneficial if you have low amounts. So some individuals, I've read some books where they say five, I mean, literally five grams of sugar a day, that's it. But today our normal candy bars got, you know, can range from 12 to 24 grams of sugar, you know, like in one like small candy bar. So um, it's crazy how much sugar is in a bottle of um, soda. And when we have this going into the system, you do get your high because you get a certain amount of sugar that helps the brain start to charge up because it's really evident through a lot of athletic physiology that the reason we crave sugar is because we're in con constant fight or flight. And that's a discussion for another time, but we want that quick fix. But furthermore, as, the as you have more sugars, the excess sugars get up there and they start to feed the infections. And they always want to go, the infections always want to go to the place where there's the most fuel and the most food. Does that make sense? So your brain, you have all these infections or you have some infections in there and they're going to camp out where you'll get the free food. So you have blood that has sugar passing through and the infections gobble it up. When they gobble it up, their metabolic process is they're going to get what? More toxicity. So they get more toxicity going through and that toxicity means what? They produce poop. So you'll have endotoxins, internal toxins produced by these infections. So as the infections start to increase and their waste start to increase, then you'll start to see that you not only have the waste involved, but you have the inflammation within the arteries. And as these combine, your body gets triggered and your body wants to protect itself. So there's toxicities going in the brain. You start having symptoms like brain fog. You start having issues like memory loss. In fact, if you look at a map of the brain and many of us you know, don't study the brain that way, but many areas of your brain control certain areas or certain functions of the body. So you can have certain areas of the brain, like in the back of the brain right here that controls your optic area, your eyes. You have certain areas on the temporal lobes that actually control the movement of your upper extremities. You have some on the side temporals that actually control the movement of your lower uh, extremities. And you have different areas that have to do with memory or short-term memory or even a vocal memory loss. And so think about this. If you had an infection that made its way into a certain particular area of the brain and you started, it started producing these toxicities, then you'll start to find out that these areas are affected. And then you start having the symptoms like memory loss or a weakness of the upper arms or tremors or shakes in the lower extremities. It's all dependent on where in the brain that the infections or the infection toxins are the most prevalent. So you can start to see like on when they do neurofeedback or brain scans, 
Dr. Amen, he's really big about this, that they can show holes in the brain. And they're saying that these holes in the brain or these divots are where the actual brain tissue is dying. And not to sound negative guys, but like the brain can be damaged because you can get a concussion, you know, hit your head in one area and then it hit, the brain hits the side of the other, um, of the other side of the skull and it can be damaged, cause inflammation. And then you can get infections in there and the infections start to eat away at the neurological tissue. And that's what we're going to talk about in just a second. So when you think about it, you have the neurological tissue that's already getting damaged and these toxins are being produced. And then the body's um, immune system is activated. So it's getting activated. It goes in to go, what? Clean up the endotoxins. It's trying to go in there to help clean up the infections because they're saying something's going over, on over here. I've got too much heat building up here because there's a lot of movement and toxins are starting to hurt my nervous tissue. It's hurting my brain. So you start to get your brain producing or your body producing the immune cells that jumps into the bloodstream. You know, your lymph nodes start to kick in, your thymus gland, which is a T cell producer, your, um, your appendix is one as well. You have your tonsils. So they start dumping these white blood cells into your body and they're traveling up there trying to what? Clean up the mess. So as they try to clean up the mess, the body also does this. You know, it actually produces oxygen species. So there's a terminology they call it reactive oxygen species. Oxygen is good for you. Oxygen can be used in great ways. Oxygen is healing. You need oxygen. That's your number one nutrient. You have to have oxygen to do what? To live, to run your energy cycles within your cells. But your body will produce oxygen species and they, they call them like superoxide. Superoxide is one of them. Hydrogen peroxide. Yes, your body produces hydrogen peroxide in small amounts. And you'll have uh, myeloperoxidase. They have these oxygen species that are built up to actually help kill off infections. So I think about like a pinball machine, uh, your body and it's basically in your cells and the atoms are basically are um, using the electrons, the outer shell, of the electrons, and they're doing what they're sharing outside electron orbits. And I know this sounds too technical, but the movement of electrons between atoms is a way that the oxygen species actually have a pinball effect to try to tear through the infection. So your body, in its essence, uses electrons, oxygen species, to actually do what? To jump through and tear through the infection walls and to deteriorate them. So when you have this, it's good. That's how your body kills off the infections. It actually uses this mechanism of oxygen to actually kill the infections. But what happens when there's excess in, uh, infections? Your body will produce lots of oxygen species. And when it produces tons of oxygen species, what then occurs is that you'll start to get higher amounts of oxygen. Now, if you get high oxygen into the body, high amounts of oxygen species, it can actually start to inflame and hurt the nerves. It's like basically rusting your nerves. It'll actually like what happens when, you, when stainless steel oxidizes, it rusts. So this is inflammatory to your nerves if it's in high amounts. So you have the endotoxins, plus you have the reactive oxygen species that are trying to help you, but there's so much infections going on that it actually can damage the nerves. So we're talking about nerve transmission. So the nerve transmission is doing what, guys? Nerve transmission is firing signals. So how many trillions, trillions of signals are being passed through your body? I mean, these many types of transmission signals are running consistently all day long through your nerves 24-7. But what helps it along is the health of the nerve itself. You have what we call a myelin sheet that's around the outside of the nerve. And so the myelin sheath is basically insulation. Think about it like a fatty layer of insulation. And the more insulation you have around the nerve, the faster the signal it is to actually transmit a signal from the brain to the body, from the body to the brain. 
Now, when you start to damage it with, with the infection toxins and the reactive oxygen species, then you'll start to see that the nerve transmission slows down because the myelin sheath, the insulation gets deteriorated, it starts to peel away. And what are some of the symptoms or what are some of the uh, processes or, or symptoms or infections or even conditions that are evident of this, such as Parkinson's or Alzheimer's, multiple sclerosis, they all have damage to what? The nerve layers. And so you'll start to see that individuals, I've seen that not even their blood work have had diagnosis of Alzheimer's or even uh, MS, but they have all the symptoms of it. So if you're out there and you have these types of symptoms and you haven't been diagnosed for it, they can't find it on you, then I would really be heavily interested in finding out if an individual like yourself or anybody that you know that has this would have a hidden infection. So when I say these demyelinating diseases are out there, even the CDC uh, a while back started to classify Lyme disease as one possible cause for MS type symptoms because they found out that these infections actually burrow into the brain and actually damage the, um, the nerves. So let's review. We have all these toxins, we have the reactive oxygen species, we have the infections, and it's damaging the myelin sheath. You have not only the toxins doing it, but I want to say this too. When I did a, um, a course, I have a course on Lyme disease, and the, and the one thing about Lyme disease, it's very mobile. So you'll have a very mobile infection, and it's a bacteria, and it has a corkscrew shape. And one of the things that's most damaging about it is that as it gets into your bloodstream, like from, you know, it can come, you know, Lyme can be transmitted through, they've shown it through like dairy that's infected or through animal byproducts. But if you get it from a tick or from a Bartonella from mosquitoes or even spiders, if they get into the tissue and jump into the bloodstream because the arteries are damaged by, you know, uh, standard American diet, they'll travel to the nerve tissue, they'll travel to the joints and they'll travel to the brain. And the reason again is because they feed off sugars. They like sugars. And so they also get into the joints because your joints are made of glucosamine, glucose and amino acids. So it's a heavy source of nutrients for these infections. So they burrow in, they actually burrow in, create their toxins or poop it out, gets into the brain tissue or in the joints, causing arthritis or causing the tremors or causing neurological conditions. And you'll find a lot of times that people that have Lyme in the brain literally have brain fog all day or are dizzy all day or have a pain on the back of the occiput or up where the, the skull meets the neck. They'll start to have hearing issues or vision problems. And because this neurological toxins are spilling into their brain all day. Another one is staph and strep. There is evidence. I've seen so many patients that come in that have had hidden strep. We suspect it. They start getting testing and they'll show that they do have high amounts of strep in their body. And especially through a fecal test. And we'll talk about those in just a few minutes. But you have these high amounts of these infections that like strep, the stat that you like, say you had had as a kid. And, you know, you think, man, I had ear infections. I had, um, I had to put tubes in my ears. I had continuous tonsillitis. I had my tonsils taken out. I had always swollen throat or always had congestion in my nose all the time as a kid, multiple rounds of antibiotics, which I hear about every day. And they said it still didn't kill the strep because the strep is still probably around, even when you get older. If you don't go and try to really clean it out, that stuff will stick for you, with you for years. Why would it leave? And as a free food source, if your immune system's down, it stays around. So you can have Lyme disease or strep or staph, you can have Epstein-Barr virus, you can have cytomegalovirus, many viruses definitely get into the head and to the brain. So you start to see these infections and they can literally jump on the nerve and damage the nerve. In fact, a lot of the infections use the nerve as pathways. So they'll have these pathways because the nerves are spreading everywhere and traveling everywhere throughout the body. And it's just like a highway to them. So you'll see evidence and research where they say Epstein-Barr virus was found on what? The vagus nerve from the heart to the brain, because they see that the virus is damaged and attached to the nerve cell wall or the nerve walls. 
and the myelin sheath is damaged. And then they can do what? Start to damage, create inflammation. Your immune cells start to try to attack the virus. And then it starts to damage what? The nerve lining. And is it, as this is occurring, remember all the nerve transmission is slowing down or being interrupted. It's just like fiber optic cables. If it gets interrupted, think about watching your TV or watching your computer. And then all of a sudden it keeps having these glitches. So you have full amount of information, slow information, no signal. And so you have stalls just like on your computer TV screen. So you have these, that processing circle that keeps revolving and all of a sudden the screen freezes. And if a screen freezes, then you'll start to see what? You start to see glitches such as tremors or shakes. You'll start to have seizures. You'll see tingling, numbness, brain fog, memory loss. I cannot think a thought. I can't remember what I did yesterday. I can't even think what's going to happen tomorrow or my schedule. So you have these things that are coming together and starting to create what? All the neurological symptoms without an explanation. Now, I say that whenever we have these neurological um, deficits and we say that, um, you know, people have like the symptoms that come together and they go to the doctor and the doctor is telling them, man, I, I don't know what's going on right here, but all your signs and symptoms show that you have symptoms of this kind of infection or this type of condition. So they give you usually a condition, but then they say, well, your blood work doesn't verify that you have like the Alzheimer's or the Parkinson's. And then you start to dig deeper and start to do testing. So I will do like uh, DNA connections. DNA connections is a great group. Uh, like Igenics uh, Laboratory for Lyme disease or even the co co uh, Lyme co-infections. And when you get a DNA connections test, they check, check the urine for um, basically our PCR testing to check for proteins that are uh, active in your urine. And so we'll do that. Or we'll do also do like a GI map test to see what types of yeast or mold or bacteria is in the, in the fecal matter. We'll actually do a mold toxicity test. Um, we actually can get a little further because there's some really good testing that's even in uh, Europe, like uh, Oaks Lab, which they do amazing testing for Lyme disease. It's co-infections, very sensitive. They go down to the very small species of the co-infections. Also with different types of strep, different types of viruses, they go through and they check for all of these. They'll even find really hidden herpes simplex viruses or herpes zoster. And you'll start to see that these infections start to show up on the patients. And as they show up on the patients, they'll start to see that they go, okay, the infections are rampant and they can create the symptoms. So when this comes into my view, like when I'm working with somebody, I know that just the information they got from me, just uh, the info about that they had this to explain why they had the symptoms gives them a glimmer of hope. So they're happy to hear, not that they have the infection, but they're happy to hear that there's an answer to it. Now, there can always be, you know, your diet is a very big play. You have to reduce your sugars. You have to get the trans and the fake fats out of your diet. You have to drink plenty of water. You've got to stop putting in too much alcohol. You have to do, get rid of things that are basically too excess for your liver to detoxify. And it's called methylation. It's a DNA process um, that's really, really helped by your liver's health. But methylation helps with neurological um, healing. But that's another, another time uh, podcast. But you'll start to see that with these types of uh, things that are on the rise, like you have the neurological conditions coming together, you have to realize that with the diet, you really have to add in ways to help identify the infection, but also clean them out. And in Chinese medicine, what I love about Chinese medicine is that with the brain, we always say that you have to heal the heart in Chinese medicine. And the reason being is because the heart pumps blood straight to the brain. And they say, if there's infections in the blood, it can get right into the brain. So the stronger the heart, 
and the stronger the kidneys, the stronger your brain. Kidneys produce hormones. They produce one called erythropoietin, and that hormone signals to your, red, your bone marrow to create red blood cells. And the one that we're talking that's most important is in your spinal column and in your skull. And those red blood cells go directly into your nerve tissue. So if you have memory loss or you have uh, weakness in the bones or weakness in the extremities, Chinese medicine says, check the heart, check the kidneys. So if you have those weaknesses, we go in and say, well, we found these infections. We found it on testing. This can give us an explanation of why you have these types of neurological conditions. And then let's go in and try to find maybe some herbs or spices that can actually energize the kidneys and the heart. Now, that is not the only organs that can be affecting you know, the brain. But in my, you know, in my experience, I always try to find herbs that strengthen the body. And everybody is different, guys. I cannot say that one herb or one spice or one vitamin or mineral is going to work for everybody because everybody is different. You're bio-unique. So whenever I give you suggestions, remember, this is, I'm not giving you medical advice. I'm just saying these are things that you want to talk to your primary care physician, your um, holistic practitioner to look into and discuss with them. But whenever you start to see this, that you'll have like herbs that can energize the body, but also clean it up. And because every herb has a microbe or is antimicrobial in some fashion. And the reason being is most herbs, like weeds, plants, flowers, they have to produce certain types of antimicrobial substances within their uh, tissue to actually fight off pests. And so your body uses those same qualities, those types of chemicals within the plant to help you fight them off too. So I find that uh, Ayurvedic herbs such as uh, neem, neem is a really good cleanser of um, the tissue. This helps really rejuvenates uh, mental uh, tissue and also fights off infections. I find that Chinese coptis is a really, really good substance to help clean out infections. I also find that neem capsules are really, really strong uh, evidence that these actually clean up the infections, really help with uh, getting the digestive system cleaned. Those are really three big ones. I really like Chinese isatis, I-S-A-T-I-S. And that's another one that actually can to be an overall microbial killer. And when you add those in, you can look into another one called mangista. Mangista is an Ayurvedic herb, M-A-N-J-I-S-T-H-A. Mangista is a really good herb that helps alleviate the, the lymph congestion that is brought on by the toxins. So whenever I have a patient that cannot get rid of like a brain fog or, or issues neurologically, I always say, go get electronic massage, uh, electronic lymph massage, where they use these wands to help electrically stimulate the lymph to flow out of the brain. And also look into things like mangist. That's a good herbal tonic for the lymph nodes. When you start getting the lymph nodes to start to move on their own, uh, move you know very efficiently, you can start draining the toxins a bit more efficiently as well. So you get these herbs are just suggestions, guys, just to look into. And I don't just start stop there. You can look into artemisia. You can look into wormwood. You can look into astragalus, which is a great immune builder. You can look into reishi mushrooms, which is awesome. Uh, I also love shisandra. It's a good liver detoxifier. These are some of the main ones that I see in my office work really well to help with not only strengthening the heart, but also the kidneys and get rid of infections. If you really want to get deep about the heart, there's one called Dan Shen. Dan Shen is basically a red root that Chinese medicine uses. It's one of the biggest tonics for the heart. Dan Shen, like D-A-N-S-H-E-N. So you can have uh, these types of herbs that can help strengthen the heart, help the kidneys, uh, especially reishi. And I forgot one more. Look into this one. It's chrysanthemum. Chrysanthemum is really great for the kidneys and it's really good about finding viruses. So I don't want to be overwhelming guys, but these are just some good examples to look into to see if um, you can discuss with your practitioner to see which one can be used for you. Now, my goal is this, whenever I have a patient come in and I start to analyze what they have, 
I start to do some neurological testing and then I do kinesiology testing with my acupuncture training to find out what brings the body into the most ease. What can bring the most energy? So how's energy evident? When you take a supplement or a vitamin or herb, and we're going to go over vitamins in just a second, remember that you want to be able to have better bowel movements, or even if you have good bowel movements, I just say that you have them very efficiently, that it doesn't change, that your bowel movements get stronger and healthier, that your sleep gets better, and that you basically have more prolonged energy. And this may take months, truly, guys. Uh, neurologists and biochemists say it can take anywhere from six to eight months for you to start seeing results as you start taking these supplements. Now, I usually see results pretty quickly, a few, few weeks uh, with my patients. But whenever you get the right combination down, you can use different ones. You can use multiple ones that I've seen in my patients, but I'm very cautious. I don't go and give them like two or three every single day of each product. I, sometimes I start patients off with like two of the supplements I just mentioned, maybe three if it keeps their acupuncture system calm when I do the testing, when they put the substance in their mouth. And then I start to analyze and see if the body stays nice and even and balanced. And so you just usually start off with a very slow dosage, like one, one capsule every other day or you know, a few drops a day of a tincture. And when you start to do that, you can put different ones, to different uh, ingredients together, single ingredient herbs or spices together because it's very, very easy on the body. And if an interaction of detoxification is too heavy on the body, you then can see if which one did it because it's a single ingredient herb. The, when you get a lot of multiple ingredient herbs, I love them to death. I love tinctures. But you have to be mindful because you may not be able to identify which one is actually causing uh, the overreaction if there is a detox, a Herx reaction in the body. So I always say start slow. Slow and steady wins the race. And as you start to put these things together, you'll start to see that you'll start to clean out the brain and energize the heart and the kidneys. Uh, depending on the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the one supplement or the supplements that you use to help energize this. That's why it's really important to find a really good Chinese medicine practitioner or a good kinesiologist, a good holistic practitioner that does some form of like kinesiology testing or electrodermal screening EDS for to see if supplements are good frequency medicine to see if a supplement is really good for you. And you can actually go in and do like a spectra cell. A spectra cell does intracellular testing to see what you're deficient in. And don't forget the importance of B vitamins like B12. And there's different forms of B12, like adenosyl hydroxycobalamin, there's methylcobalamin. These are different forms that could help your liver with the processing of, of toxins, but you had to be very careful of B12. It can actually cause your liver to over detoxify. So finding a practitioner, a functional medicine doctor to find out which B12 is really good for you is really important. So B vitamins like B1, B2, B6, B12, uh, B9 uh, are really, uh, depending on the, the form of uh, folic acid, you want to have like a broken down like folinic acid, B vitamins need to be um, checked into as you want to repair neurological tissue. You need to find the B vitamin that doesn't give you the jitters. The B vitamin that gives you that doesn't give you the jitters is the one that helps you feel a little stronger, a little more energized, is the one you want to use. And always start slow with B because you have to make sure your liver can process it. So check into B vitamins, B12. Also, once you check into magnesium, there's different forms of magnesium. You can have glycinate, you can have taurate, malate, you can have citrate, citrate. You can have so many different forms. And some argue that one form is better than the other because some forms can be absorbed better than the rest. And there is a lot of research behind many of the forms like malate. But also too, guys, your genetics make a big difference about how you absorb certain types of magnesium. So finding the magnesium that helps your rest and your digestion really well is probably key because magnesium is a huge energy producer for the brain. I also look into looking into multi-minerals, but multi-minerals, again, find a good source of multi-minerals. I don't try to plug or try to suggest uh, any particular brand, 
But again, you shouldn't have the body like being overexcited when you take a multi a mineral. Sometimes you can get jittery or you can feel a little bit anxious if you have the wrong form. So find the one that keeps you calm and steady. But magnesium, uh, sometimes I check for a multi-mineral, definitely B vitamins, vitamin D, vitamin A, and vitamin K. Check for vitamin K if you have any heart issues or blood thinners. But vitamin D, A, and K are huge for the heart, for the, the kidneys. It'll help the brain heal and also fish oils. Uh, fish oils are really, really important depending on what type of fish oil that works for you. Some people don't agree. Some people like to use plant oils. Uh, I think plant oils are great. Uh, it just depends. Like if you like almond oil or flaxseed oil, or if you like olive oil, you like, you know, grapeseed oil. There's many types of oils that can work for individuals. Those are very good vegetarian, vegan options for the brain. But you want to make sure that when you take a, a good fat, that your gallbladder is healthy. If you can't take fats, you need to check into gallbladder health and go maybe get an ultrasound and see if there's any sludge or if it's a slow gallbladder. So you have this, you also have probiotics. I use probiotics, you know, randomly in the office, but uh, many times if you have a GI map test, it will tell you if you're deficient in certain probiotics, but you don't go and take it like a multi-probiotic and just start, you know, shoving them in. You need to find if there's single ingredient probiotics and find a good practitioner that can help you with finding the one strand for you. Now, you don't always have to have a practitioner, but I would suggest that if your probiotic should not give you excess amounts of gas, diarrhea, or nausea. You should actually feel really good with your sleep and actually feel like you actually gotten better with your, you know, with your digestion when you take the probiotic. So the, remember, let's review vitamin B12. You got magnesium, maybe a multimineral. You can have AD and K and also have a probiotic and some fish oils. Those are some of the biggest things I see work really well with brain tissue. Um, I liked uh, when I use uh, different types of minerals like millennium, uh, selenium, magnesium, uh, carbon, and I use some hydrogen um, uh, minerals together and put that together when we're working with Lyme disease or parasites and it works really well. It gives them a lot of strength and starts to restore the nerves and the brain tissue. So guys, I hope this was helpful. I mean, I, I spoke for a long time, but I really want to talk about brain health. And these are the, some of the tests, you know, we talked about Lyme disease testing. You can look into um, different laboratories that test for infections, GI map test, you know, mold toxin tests, such as um, oats test, organic acid test is really good. Uh, Igenix lab, remember that, or Oaks lab, there's one in Germany and, uh, or DNA, DNA connections. So we really want to make sure we can identify the infections. We can start to gently clean them out. And if you guys have any more questions, you can, uh, shoot, shoot me a message on doc at drmotley.com. You can, um, and I'll be able to do my best to get back to you as quick as I can, or visit me on, uh, you know, Instagram at Dr. Motley and see if I can get back to your messages. We try to put out much content uh, on there about the supplements, um, but we do so much here on the health Institute. We want to make sure that the health Institute uh, has all these information as well. So we're setting it up to where we have different Facebook groups and we have things that can actually answer questions for you even more through the Institute. And we're, we're working on that and we're going to keep on going. So guys, just shoot me a message. Uh, keep us informed. If you have any problems uh, about the, uh, the podcast or any, any uh, advice or any suggestions, we'd love to hear about it. I hope you guys have a blessed day. Um, everybody here says hi and hope that uh, the, the, uh, the rest of the the week goes well for you. And Courtney sends her best. Um, she's just had a little one and uh, just so glad and seeing that she's healthy and strong, both of them. So take it easy today, guys. We'll, we'll talk to you next time. Look out for the next podcast. We're going to have some more inf interesting information. But remember, keep that brain healthy. All right. See you, everyone.